you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter number 21. Genesis chapter number 21. And Riley, if you could maybe bring the wireless down just a bit, I think I might be a little hot. I don't want to scare anybody when I use my big boy voice this morning. Genesis chapter number 21. Well, you all made it here uh, on Daylight Savings, so congratulations. That's a big win. Everybody remember to set their clocks. We're a little spoiled now, though. If we're, most of us probably use our phones for our alarms and all that, so it kind of does us for it. But uh, we, we appreciate you coming, uh, even with an hour less of sleep, nonetheless. It's, it's great to see everybody here on this this almost feels like spring type of Sunday morning, doesn't it? Uh, it's, it's refreshing to walk outside and starting to see a little bit of green pop in lawns and all that fun stuff. I heard a couple of guys in the back talking about fertilizers and lawn care and, you, you know, it's, uh, it's that time of year. So it's, it truly has been good. Have, were you blessed this morning by the song service? Uh, your worship through song. Um, so thankful for, for Andy, for our pianist, uh, for all those involved uh, in, in pulling that together. Um, thankful for our attention that was drawn to God and what he has provided for us. And as a result, what our response should be to that, just thankfulness, thankful for the cross, thankful for salvation this morning. So the title of our message uh, will be A Promise of Peace, A Promise of Peace. And uh, we're going to finish out Genesis chapter number 21 this morning. And uh, we're going to pass the baton back over to Andy next week as um, he gets to dive into a, a very uh, classic passage of Scripture where Abraham is tested with the sacrifice of Isaac. But before we get there, there's a, a section uh, that uh, probably is somewhat forgettable if you're reading your way through the book of Genesis, right? You, this is one of these Old Testament narratives um, that you hear some, some characters named. There was a covenant that was given and you kind of move on, right? There's, and, and you might be left with, what am I to do with this? <laughs> what am I to do with this, this passage of Scripture? We know King Abimelech from last chapter, chapter number 20. Uh, but here he is again at the end of 21. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit and through uh, just careful uh, explanation of the text that we can see something about God this morning and we can make some applications uh, of our own life, of, of what it means for us, and by His grace, respond rightly to His Word. So, uh, again, the title is A Promise of Peace. Peace is one of those words that, when I say it, uh, it probably will bring up all kinds of different thoughts around maybe different treaties and world history. Um, you might hear different uh, political parties talking about, hey, we need to have peace in our country. We need to bring everybody together. Peace is one of those words that everybody talks about, but very few actually define what it is. And as a result, we don't really ever see it too often in our day. Actual, real peace. So what is, what is peace? Just look up a, a classic definition of peace. It's a freedom from disturbance. It's a freedom from a disturbance. It's a state of tranquility or it's a state or period in which there is no war. Peace. Does that describe your life today? Does that describe your 
uh, your mental state? Does that describe the circumstances that you may be experiencing as you came into worship this morning? Are you at peace? Are you at peace with, with God? Are you at peace with others? Maybe in this church or outside this church. Maybe at your workplace. Is there strife? Is there conflict? Is there struggle? If you're like me, I could point to a number of areas of my life where that's, that's the case. Why? Why is there a lack of peace in this world? Well, isn't it due to the fact of sin? Sin is what broke the peace that creation had with their Creator, God, right? Mankind rebelling against the Word of the Lord all the way back in the earliest parts of Genesis. And as a result, what that fellowship That intimate relationship was broken. It was severed as a result of sin, as a result of rebellion. And as a result, we have come not in fellowship with God, but in enmity with God because of our sin. And so we now are living, not just me and us, but all of mankind are living with an eternal problem. We lack peace. And whether people have grown up in the church or not, one of the key desires of mankind at an individual basis is how to find more inner peace. And so if you were to do a Google search on that, you would come up with one step, three steps, five steps, eight steps, ten steps to find inner peace. There would be article after article, book after book written about this topic of finding peace. The problem is is that we can't find peace on our own. We can't resolve the conflict, the strife, the enmity that we have created by our rebellion against God on our own. Behavior modification, fleeting pleasures, stuff, status, popularity, none of that can fill the void of strife and conflict and enmity with God. We can't Achieve peace on our own. Only God can do that. So based on that simple and somewhat elementary definition, why does peace seem to be so elusive in the society that we live in? What is it that makes this freedom from disturbance so challenging to grasp a hold of? I would contend this morning that the root or the lack of peace in this world is due to the fact that many in this world are looking for peace in all the wrong places. You see, friends, peace, true eternal peace can be created and achieved and resolved by no one else but the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. Politics and legislation, they're not going to do it. Big shocker there, right? Solving world hunger, although a very noble endeavor, that won't do it. Free health care, gainful employment for everyone, Solving whatever earthly crisis you could think of won't achieve eternal, lasting peace. Why? Because there is that far greater crisis among us that can't always be seen even with our human eyes. Why? Because it's a crisis of the heart. It's a conflict, a period or state of war that is greater than any world war. It's millions and billions of souls at enmity with the King, Christ Jesus. This king is God, creator of all things. And we have learned in this study, our study through the book of Genesis, that mankind has rebelled 
But God is not leaving us without hope. He is and will make a way for this conflict to be resolved through his son, Christ Jesus. So through the line of Abraham, through this line of Isaac, that promise that was finally fulfilled, that Sarah did bear a son, just as God said he would do, that a Savior is on his way. And we have that hope for all eternity. Can you say amen to that? This is the source of peace. Friends, this morning, until we have peace within our soul, until our conflict of sin is resolved with the holy God, we cannot and will not experience this type of lasting earthly peace among our personal relationships and beyond. You see, until we receive and respond to the peace that is offered to us through Jesus Christ, we can't be at peace in our relationships on this earth. So what's the big idea of our text as we finish out this section in Genesis chapter number 21? Our big idea is this, because God is peace. We can experience peace and display his character in our earthly relationships. Read that one more time. Our big idea is this, because God is peace, we can experience peace and display his character in our earthly relationships. This morning we're going to look at just three simple observations in the short narrative between Abimelech and Abraham. The first observation is this. Abimelech clarifies his relationship with Abraham. We see this in verses 20 through 22 through 24. Read with me. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander, commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. If we think back into Genesis chapter number 20, if you could go to that next uh, slide there with the map. Again, I know it's small, so I'm going to come up here and I didn't bring my laser pointer, forgot that this morning. But uh, we've got Gerar right up here. This is where um, King Abimelech is from, right? That's his, his territory. We're in the, the territory of Negab. And we have Beersheba, right, just to the east and south of Gerar. So Abimelech has come down to this area. And if we'll remember back in chapter number 20, uh, there was a number of circumstances that were quite puzzling, were they not? Um, we've got Abraham and Sarah again. They took uh, this wild card of an idea. It took matters into their own hand. They were fearful because Abraham made the assumption that what? There was no God-fearing man in this land. And so Abraham deceived King Abimelech, and he said that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. And so what did the king do? He took Sarah for his own, and God came to Abimelech in a dream. And in that dream, he said, what? You are a dead man. Do you remember that phrase? So Abimelech was confronted with the God of Abraham in a dream. So he comes proactively to Abraham, seeking him out. The news has spread that Isaac has been born to whom? Sarah, who was now 90, 91 years old, 
Abraham, as we learned last week, was 100 years old when Isaac was born. This was none other than a miracle straight from the hand of this God of Abraham. And so likely the word has spread about this incredible miracle that's never been heard or seen before. And Abimelech is connecting the dots now. This God that came to me in a dream and said, you are but a dead man unless you return Sarah back to Abraham. And this God that has now done this incredible miracle and given the promised son Isaac to Abraham and Sarah despite their old age. He's connecting the dots that this God and this man Abraham is a force to be reckoned with. There is something supernatural about this God of Abraham. And so Abimelech, like any king would do worth his salt, what's he going to do? He's going to go proactively and pursue what? Peace with this man. This man whom he fears and this God whom he now fears. And so he reaches out to Abraham. And we have this interaction this, this dialogue, and there's a few things that, that he points out here. First of all, he acknowledges that Abimelech acknowledges that God is with Abraham. Abimelech acknowledges that God is with Abraham. And not only is God with Abraham, but he goes on to make a further observation. God is with you in all that you do. Wow, that's, that's an incredible statement. So this God who has come to me in my dream, this God who has given you the promised son Isaac in your old age, this God is with you in all that you do. So you can imagine a neighboring king and territory would be potentially concerned about this. He's seen this supernatural power of the God of Abraham on display. And he's seeking to clarify his relationship with Abraham. Abimelech clarifies his relationship with Abraham while acknowledging that God is with him in all that you do. So for Abimelech, the reality that Abraham and God, the God of his dream, are of one accord, it's, it's a huge deal. And as a result, he needs to ensure that he and Abraham are on the same page concerning their relationship. The second subpoint, Abimelech urges Abraham to not deal with him falsely. This is an interesting observation that Abimelech brings back up, isn't it? He might still be uh, maybe a little bitter, a little burned on this uh, situation, these circumstances that came up in chapter number 20. And so what does he say in verse number 23? He says, now therefore... Swear to me here by God, that's God, Elohim, it's, it's the God of Abraham. Swear to me by that God that you will not deal falsely with me. Again, remembering our context of chapter number 20. Can you resonate with why Abimelech would be concerned about Abraham's integrity and in his dealings with Abimelech? He's been deceived. He's been lied to. He's been given the runaround. But actually, she is my sister, kind of, sort of, through this other way. And he's twisting his own thoughts and ideas to try to justify his actions before Abimelech. But at the end of the day, Abimelech saw it for what it was. 
he dealt falsely with him in chapter number 20. And so here we are in chapter number 21 in this reunion. Abimelech wants to clarify and make sure that they're on the same page. Do not deal falsely with me. But not just with Abimelech and not just his household. Read on in verse number 23. He expands the effect of this swearing and this oath and this commitment with my descendants or with my posterity. This would be generations to come. Generation after generation, Abraham, let's commit that you will deal kindly with my people and you will not deal falsely with us. Do you remember verse number 17 of chapter number 20? Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Again, Abimelech is not quick to forget this life-altering, traumatic interaction with Abraham. So Abimelech's request for Abraham to not deal with him falsely is a reminder that God has revealed the deceit in that dream. He has exposed the sin of Abraham and Sarah. And after full and abundant restitution had been given by Abimelech to Abraham and Sarah, God lifts the consequences of these circumstances. Can you imagine? I mean, just, did you really wrap your mind around what was going on in chapter number 20? God had closed up all the wombs of the household of Abimelech until this issue had been resolved. And not only that it had been resolved, that Abimelech above and beyond provided restitution really for the deceit of Abraham and Sarah. And then and only then did God allow Abraham to pray over Abimelech and that these consequences were lifted. So Abimelech, what does he do? He urges Abraham to swear by this God, Elohim, the same God of chapter 20, the God of Abraham who will be the God of Isaac and of Jacob. Abimelech urges Abraham to swear by him that God that there will be, not be a repeat of chapter number 20. He further clarifies that the terms of the oath will not be short-sighted, but will be extended to all generations to come. The third sub-point under Abimelech clarifying his relationship with Abraham is that Abimelech reminds Abraham of his kindness. So Abraham reminds Abraham of his dealing with him falsely, but he also reminds Abraham that he, Abimelech, dealt kindly with Abraham through that entire process. So he's causing him to what? To remember. Look with me at the latter part of verse number 23. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. So Abimelech reminds again Abraham that this request to swear by God that he would not deal falsely is based on the kindness that has already been offered to Abraham by way of what? One, how Abimelech responded to the deception of chapter number 20. Now granted, there is a God coming to Abimelech in a dream threatening his life. That aside, the deceit, the lying, 
That relationship that Abraham led with in his interaction with with Abimelech, it should have deserved severe and swift consequences. Any other person, any other God, any other dream, I'm sure Abimelech would have responded very differently as any other king would, right? Being taken advantage of in that way. But Abimelech responded kindly in the fear of the Lord. Secondly, he reminds him of the full and complete restitution that was offered in chapter 20 by King Abimelech. And then three, the land that was offered to Abraham as a dwelling place in verse number 15 of chapter number 20. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. I mean, the God of Abraham, Elohim, El Shaddai, Yahweh, he came to Abimelech in the stream and it shook him to his core. And he responds in the fear of the Lord and he gives livestock, he gives money, remember, over to Sarah. And he says, here's my kingdom, here's my land, dwell where it pleases you. Abimelech is drawing Abraham's attention to those realities. He has dealt kindly with him. What is Abraham's response to Abimelech's urging? He says in verse number 24, I will swear. It's a simple response, isn't it? I'm sure he ponders, I'm sure he thinks back on it, and he simply responds in agreement. This is a reasonable request. I will swear. This leads us to our second main observation this morning. Abraham confronts Abimelech and offers a sign. So after clarifying his relationship, Abraham now takes the conversation and he confronts Abimelech and offers a sign. We see this in verses 25 through 30. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Verse 26, Abimelech said, I did not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. And I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and and gave them to Abimelech. And the uh, two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand. And this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So in verse number 25, we have Abraham confronting the king concerning a very desirable and sought after well right here in Beersheba. Remember the geography that we looked at before. Uh, Beersheba is on the, the southern part, just right on the edge of the desert, right? This would be a common trade route that would be going from, from Egypt back into this area. And so it certainly would be a very sought after location. Abraham knows that he needs this well to be in his control in, in his household. Don't forget his livestock as a shepherd or, or out in this, this area. He would need it for his own well-being, for his own family and household. This well is kind of a big deal. 
And so Abraham has heard that some of Abimelech's servants have come and seized it. So what is the word that is used here around the disposition and demeanor that Abraham brings up this topic? Abraham does what? He reproves Abimelech in verse number 25. This is a strong admonition. It's a declaration of truth. Your servants have seized our well. This word seized, although it's not explicitly given in the context of how that interaction went and what servants and was there a battle, was there a fight over it. We don't have anything like this. But what we do know about this word is it does have a conflict at the base of it, right? So this word seize is used in other Old Testament passages to to be translated as robbed, to be taken away. So we know that the circumstances surrounding this, it wasn't a misunderstanding, right? This well was known to be owned and dug by Abraham and Abimelech's servants took it. They robbed it. They have taken it away from Abraham. Abraham, and so Abraham, knowing that this is a strategic well in a strategic area, needs to clarify the status of this well, and he confronts Abimelech. So Abraham is claiming that before they can fully move towards this oath or pact or treaty, this covenant, this issue of the well, it needs to be resolved. What was Abimelech's response? You can almost hear it in his voice. He's, he's what? He's afraid. He's defensive. He's caught off guard and unaware of this grievance that Abraham has brought to his attention. Look at me in verse number 26. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abimelech's back on his heels, right? He's defensive. He's uncertain how this God of Abraham might respond to this reality that his servants have taken something from this man of God. And so he's clarifying, whoa, whoa. Remember, he's thinking back, you're a dead man in the dream. He's thinking back, all the wombs of our servants and my wives were shut up as a result of this issue back in chapter number 20. And now Abraham is bringing up a known issue from Abraham's side. And Abimelech is clearing himself of knowledge just in case... God is listening on to this interaction with, uh, between Abraham and Abimelech. I don't know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. What is Abraham's response? Look at verse number 27. He took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two did what? They made a, a covenant. He didn't stop there. The sign of his integrity. And Abraham may have a bit of self-awareness here, although he's going to deploy a a customary offering and sign of this covenant. I'm sure he has some understanding that, look, my integrity may be in question as a result of my last interaction with Abimelech. So what what does Abraham do? He doesn't stop there at making the covenant. As a sign of his integrity... And as a sign of the the seriousness of this matter, what does he do? He goes a step further to demonstrate his claim on this well. 
that he's going to sacrifice of his own resources as a testimony of his integrity in this matter. Look with me in verse number 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. This brings us to our third and final observation this morning. Abraham and Abimelech commit to an oath of peace. There's a clarification of their relationship. There's a confrontation of Abraham to Abimelech. And then finally here, in these final few verses, Abraham and Abimelech commit to an oath of peace. So Abraham takes these seven lambs and offers them above and beyond the other sheep and oxen that he offers to Abimelech. Why? Before you think I'm going to launch into some odd numerology description here, I'm, I'm not. There's, there's seven ewe lambs, and this is a, a, a cultural and a customary sign of an oath, of a covenant in that day. So we have the Hebrew word here, nishba, literally meant to bind one's self by staking or pledging seven things, right? These seven lambs were a testimony to the severity and the seriousness of the commitment that was being given between two parties. There was a, a sacrifice on their part that was deployed and offered to this other person as a testament of their commitment. This commitment is costing me something. And because it is willfully costing me something, I'm going to keep it, is the idea here of this covenant. So therefore, as these seven ewe lambs are offered over to Abimelech, this place is now referred to as Beersheba, meaning the well of Swearing, or literally it could be referred to as the well of seven. Referring back to this testament of this oath and covenant. So we have a covenant is established and there is peace. And this peace results in verse number 34. Let's read it together. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines, this covenant, this commitment, this treaty and oath of peace between King Abimelech of Gerar and Abraham allows Abraham to do what? To sojourn in this land free from harm, free from hostility, free from conflict. There is peace. There is peace that is given here in verse number 34. And his safety and the longevity of it is a testimony back to Beersheba, back to this covenant, back to this interaction right here at the end of chapter number 21. Abraham sojourned many days in the land, but backing up just a bit, we can't miss this reality. What is Abraham's response 
to the covenant that is established between this earthly king and himself. Look at verse number 33. Verse number 33, Abraham planted tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He plants a tree. He calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He responds to the provision and to the protection that God has given him with this covenant between this earthly king and himself and his household for generations to come. He acknowledges that God has done a work here. He understands back in chapter 20 that I complicated things with my choices, with my way and my understanding, me inserting my sovereignty in this interaction with Abimelech, it complicated things. I now have a reputation with this king. Despite that, despite all the things that Abraham and Sarah have done to really mess things up, God has usurped all of their feeble efforts. They have messed things up and caused the water to become very muddy between these relationships around them. God has still been faithful to keep his promises. He's still been good to Abraham and Sarah. He still gave them this promised son Isaac. And now he's offering them long-term protection and provision in this territory of Negeb. So he plants a tree. He calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. It's here that we have another name of God as Andy spoke to during our song service. It's the first time that we see in our text and in the word of God up until now, this term of God, the Elolam. We've seen Elohim, we've seen Yahweh, we've seen El Shaddai, and now we have Elohim. Literally translated, God, the everlasting one. What a beautiful reflection and response to the provision and protection of the Lord. Abraham responds with the declaration of truth of who God is. That he is the everlasting God and he alone has done this work. Reflecting back on the promise of Isaac. Reflecting back on his protection in the midst of his own stupidity and difficult situation that he put himself in back in chapter number 20, he proclaims that God is the everlasting one, the El Alam. Peace. Peace is achieved. The potential and future conflict between Abimelech and Abraham and for future generations, for right now, has been resolved. I say right now for a reason. We'll deal with that later in Genesis, right? In other books. We know that that peace doesn't last. But ultimately right now, God has given him a season of peace and prosperity and protection. There is a freedom from disturbance. This conflict at the well has been resolved. Their livelihood, their sustenance, God has provided and truly done a good thing. 
We're reminded in this narrative of Abimelech and Abraham that the God of the Bible, Elulam, the everlasting God, is the only author and source of true and lasting peace. <laughs> Friends, if Abraham left to himself, would he have been able to come to this state of peace, this oath, this covenant? I would contend that he would not, based off of what we've seen from Abraham. His way, his understanding, his ideas that he pursues. Is that not true of all of us? Are we able to manipulate our circumstances? Are we able to control our own destiny? I would contend based off the truth of the word of God that the answer to that is a resounding no. That we need God. We need the El Alam. We need the everlasting God to work in and through our life and to provide us peace today. But not just peace today. Remember, we have that crisis of heart that was created by our sin and rebellion against a holy God. And we need His eternal peace that is given to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have this morning. As we see in Genesis chapter number 21 that the God that we see here is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the author of peace right here in Genesis 21 is the author of our peace, our eternal peace, so that we can find rest for our weary soul. So what do we learn about God in this passage? We learn a few things. Without God, there is only disturbance. Have we seen this in mankind up until this point of chapter number 21? Without God, there is only war. Without God, there is only sin. Without God, there is only chaos. Without God, there is only conflict. We might be able to control. We might be able to manipulate our circumstances via behavior modification or towing the line. But in and of ourselves, we author only enmity with God because of our sin. Friends, we have to come to grips with that this morning. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough in and of myself. My righteousness that I produce of my own works, God says, are but filthy rags. Tainted by my sin, tainted by my pride, tainted by my arrogance, tainted by my own way, my own desire to be sovereign over my life. So the application for us today is to remember that God, as a creator and sustainer of eternal peace, that when your life, your job, your family, your finances, or anything else feels like chaos, our response like Abraham's should be to call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Philippians chapter 4 reminds us in verses 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this morning, are you experiencing peace in your relationship with God and others? 
Are you like Abraham and Sarah have done in previous chapters? Are you trying to manipulate and control your own destiny? Trying to figure things out in your own way? Friends, we'll never in our feeble minds this side of eternity be able to trump the knowledge and wisdom of God. Isaiah 55 reminds us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways, says, says the Lord. We need the Lord this morning. We need his wisdom. We need his peace for our conflict, our eternal conflict between God and man. A promise of peace, yes, for Abraham and Abimelech through this covenant at Beersheba, this well of swearing that provided them generations of peace. But friends, we also need a promise of peace and it's been given to us by God through his son. Jesus Christ, will you receive it this morning? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are on your throne and that we can trust you. Father, I'm here this morning and I know that I needed these reminders in my own life whether it be the everyday challenges and trials of leading a family, discipling kids, loving a wife, meeting the demands of an employer, leading the church. Father, I have, I have nothing to offer but in humility, placing myself under your sovereignty and just attempting by your grace to obey. Father, I pray that as we have seen your character, your peace, your authorship, the only source of true, lasting, eternal peace. Father, I pray that all of us right here this morning would consider our standing before you, a holy God. That we would consider our way and determine, Father, are we at peace with you? Father, just as we have remembered back in, in the earliest chapters of Genesis that our sin has broken fellowship and relationship and we are not at peace, we are at war, we are in enmity with you because of our rebellion. Father, I thank you and praise you that you did not leave us without hope, but you gave us your only begotten son if you promised that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, that we would be saved. You declared in John chapter 14, verse number six, that Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Father, I pray that you would still work miracles in and through our midst. Miracles of dead corpse being breathed new life through your son, Jesus. Miracles of adopting us out of darkness into light. Miracles of turning us from our own way that leads to darkness and destruction, that you would turn us to your way, which leads to life everlasting. Father, I pray that there's somebody here this morning who is at conflict and enmity and war with you, I pray that they would 
search out your word, that they would maybe reach out to uh, one of us as elders or a trusted friend right here in this room, and we could take the word of God, open it up, and show them the simple plan of salvation, or you are urging them and drawing them to yourself through your spirit by your son. Father, we still believe that you are saving a remnant to yourself. Pray that you would do that work in and through us, a promise of peace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.